You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Visit bpn.fm to discover more. Welcome to The Fabulous Invalid, Broadway's podcast where we present essential conversations with a curated roster of the best, most important, and innovative theater makers working today, from actors to writers, directors, designers, and everyone in between. We took our name from the title of a 1938 play by Kaufman and Hart that has since become a loving nickname for Broadway itself, always deemed on the verge of decline yet always bouncing back, The Fabulous Invalid. I'm theater savant Jamie Dumont. And I'm Rob Russo, writer and theater critic with Stage Left.NYC and Stage Left of the Podcast. Hi, Rob. Hi, Jamie. Well, I'm delighted uh, with this week's episode because yes. there are so many important conversations going on right now about how the theater needs to change, what that change looks like, both in terms of outcomes and process. And over the course of this pause in live performance, a bunch of new organizations have been created to do the work and make the change that we all want to see. We recently met two people who are helping to lead the charge through their organization, the Industry Standard Group, which launched in October 2020. Uh, So on this episode, we're so excited to talk to Rob Lackey and Sammy Lopez about the important work that they are doing through this new multimedia commercial investment and producing organization that places an intentional focus on promoting work reflecting diversity, increasing the presence of BIPOC, that's Black, Indigenous, and People of Color, investors and producers in the commercial producing field, and expanding the access and opportunities granted to BIPOC communities within the industry. Or, put it another way, They aim to disrupt and change the opaque norms of the commercial producing industry in New York City and beyond. Amen. Well, as we keep talking about the changes that need to be made in the industry, I know for me personally, and I think you agree with me, Jamie, it's so gratifying to see that there is such a smart and dedicated effort working on this particular piece of the puzzle, which is the role that commercial producers play. Because at least in my opinion... I think it's really foundational for nearly everything else. Yeah, I agree. I mean, if you're going to burn it down, you have to have a plan on how to rebuild it. So (laughs) uh, these guys have a plan. So I say let's waste no more time and get right to our conversation. Yes. Thank you so much for joining us today. Before we dive into our conversation, we were hoping each of you could give our listeners a quick overview of what you do in the theater apart from your work with the Industry Standard Group. Um, Rob, let's start with you. Uh, Sure. Uh, Like many people, I have a weird and strange sort of road and trajectory of how I've gotten to sit in this room and in this chair. Um, But currently, I am the production coordinator for NT Americum which is the New York producing office for the National Theater. I am also an associate producer with Octopus Theatricals, which is Mara Isaac's um, production company. Mara Isaac's being the lead producer, one of the producers of Hadestown. And we met through um, the relationship of the National and Hadestown. Um, So those are sort of my main official titles. And I'm, you know, also a creative producer with different projects and we're you know just like the eight of us with the industry standard group we're all holding different shows and projects of our own uh, i came through be 
being on stage, like many people. Uh, I started musical theater in school, and I ended up uh, working down at La Mama for many years, which is my first sort of uh, gateway uh, uh, company into New York. So I got to work with Ellen Stewart, the great Ellen Stewart, for wow, many years. Amazing. That's amazing. And um, yeah, I'm still with the great Jones Repertory. We just had a meeting the other day. I'm like, hi, I, I exist still, I guess. <laughs> um, it's an amazing group. Um, from that, I ended up working as a dancer, a professional dancer, concert dancer for um, many years. And then from that, a puppeteer. And puppeteering is what kind of brought me back to the National. I was in a production of War Horse. And um, through that connection, I was puppeteering with uh, Cirque uh, du Soleil. And then I got a call to sort of come back and work in another capacity for the national. And that brought me back to New York and here I sit. So wow, you've done it all. <laughs> I, I feel like we could do an entire episode just on your backstory. I just, I, I have so many puppeteering questions, but that's another show. That's, that's another show. We can't that's do that. Today. That's for puppet July. I get it. Yeah. There you uh, go. Sammy, tell us a little bit about uh, how you got here. Yes. I mean, similar to Rob, I definitely play, um, you know, switching out the hats by the hour in the day. Um, so I am a producer. I have a production company, Holtzman Lopez Productions, that I run with my longtime best friend and business partner, Ben Holtzman. And uh, we were actually freshman year roommates at Syracuse University. And since then, like, d you know, we were a self-proclaimed Glinda and Alphaba. And just, <laughs> who's who? You know, who's who? Of, <laughs> I, I am Glinda. And okay. I'm okay. with the guy. And um, and I, you know, we've we've always um, dreamed about developing um, new works specifically from the ground up with writers. So uh, we are now producing um, the production Gun and Powder, which is a new musical that pre-pandemic we just did an out-of-town tryout at the Signature Theater in Arlington, Virginia. And we have another production that we're working on called How to Dance in Ohio, which is an adaptation of the HBO documentary of the same title by Alexandra Shiva. And so we're developing uh, new works um, and, you know, figuring out how that happens through the pandemic, uh, which has been really um, eye-opening. Every day is a new journey. And simultaneously, I work for Marathon Digital, uh, working in organic social media for Broadway shows, off-Broadway shows, um, regional theaters, national tours. So uh, social media has kind of been my, um, my lifeline throughout my time in New York. I've been working um, on social media for the last almost eight and a half, nine years. And mm. uh, in addition, I direct uh, for theater for young audiences. So I'm the resident director for New York City Children's Theater. And I focus primarily on developing new uh, stories for young audiences. And um, I'm also on the board for the New Victory Theater. And I'm very involved with TYA USA. So, you know, I've always felt that there's this uh, level of perception for uh, work that we develop for young audiences. And to me, there's really no difference. So that's what I dedicate a lot of my time doing on. It's kind of like the Pixar effect. I try to <laughs> emulate, you know, the, the idea that, you know, th this type of work should be as engaging for uh, adults as it is for kids. Um, well, how else do we get new audiences if we don't engage with them at a young age? So. Exactly. Wow, a lot of hats for both of you. <laughs> Taking a step back, how did the Industry Standard Group, or TISG, come about? Um, well, when 
I started on sort of this side of the table um, a few years ago. It, as an artist and as an onstage artist, the irony is that representation, and because I worked in, I'm not gonna say non-traditional spaces, but maybe not as uh, pronounced um, in terms of roles, um, uh, spaces. So with concert dance, you know, there's a diversity to some degree, maybe not so like in ballet or, or but um, in company dance and concert dance, I never thought, oh, you know, I'm representing my culture to some degree. And then in puppeteering, also in the same way, you are, you know, you're, you're a product of your experience, but it's, it's about the puppet really. But when I sort of moved to the other side of the table and I remember noting in one of our first um, production meetings um, with my uh, former colleague, uh, Frankie de la Vega, who's now Audible as a producer. Um, she's a, a, an amazing young woman and so she's one of the people that brought me into the fold here at NT America. We came out of a production meeting and I was commenting, commenting to her about that I was the only sort of POC in the room and she was the only, you know, young woman in the room, you know, woman under uh, 30, really, that had any agency. And seeing in those uh, producing rooms how quickly a decision could be made and how the trajectory of someone's career or someone's work can be decided in an instant mm. and how representation then at that level really became a pointed uh, thing for me and going into each of these rooms just really being like oh i'm the only poc in this room and then how that kind of grew out into this idea that oh art in general is a predominantly white space and how we're receiving media is you know how i grew up there's predominantly white narratives and that as pocs or people that recognize as other to some degree they put themselves sort of in those stories and what that does to sort of your identity growing up. And as someone that grew up loving all kinds of media and theater and f movies and film and TV and reflecting back and going, I never looked for myself. I never just expected to see myself anywhere. And I think that has a lot to do with the, you know, the gatekeepers and decision makers at the level of producing a particularly in theater. And the the turn for me was um, going to be uh, being able to be in the Hades Town uh, production rooms and seeing the vast difference in those rooms in terms of diversity, um, majority women, um, a lot more people of color, and, and that's sort of how I got connected to uh, Mara and seeing how intentional she was with how was she how she was building a team, and um, I met one of the other cohorts. Um, for TISG there, Tony Israel, and her company, Real MN. And we just sort of had this conversation about it, and I've been reflecting on it in a, uh, in a way. And the original impetus was really forming a fund that was predominantly um, BIPOC investors. So it was BIPOC investment and resource going into um, investing in uh into theater and into Broadway. So that was the very first sort of seed. And then 21 happened and 2021 happened, the years that we shall not speak of. And, <laughs> and it just kind of, but in a strange way, it became very generative. The pause that we were able to take or that was forced upon us uh, 
coupled with the racial reckoning of the George Floyd moment and tragedy um, and injustice, really brought this group together in a, in a fortuitous, organic way that we all come from these different places and hold different spaces in this industry. And we were able to formula, formalize this group um, by the end of last summer and really be intentional about how we're trying to build what the model is and in, in increasing representation and the commercial producing landscape, uh, particularly here in New York, but uh, large scope in general. Um, mm. and potentially outside of theater industry as well. You've just mentioned, though, that, um, you know, how this pause in live performance has sort of afforded us this opportunity, you know, to focus on what needs to change without the daily distraction of, of you know, what, what might be going on when you're in production. Um, so I'm wondering, you know, that's both a good thing and a, and a difficult thing, right? Because uh, there are things that we can be doing now and sort of like planning, but there are some things that might be harder to do when, you know, we're not in the thick of, of, of producing and, and shows are running and, you know, folks are in rooms together, which is slowly starting to happen again, but we're not quite there yet. Um, so I'm wondering what is the focus of TSIG like right now in this moment where we're still sort of negotiating our way out of this pandemic? Right now, we're, you know, at a place where we've spent the mostly majority of of the last year uh, looking at the actual structure of the industry as investors and co-producers on Broadway, looking at what what are our given circumstances as producers and how we operate in this larger system. And so we've really identified, um, you know, the spaces where we as, uh, as individuals can, A, hold ourselves accountable for making sure that the ethos of a production is fully supported and, um, you know, leading with intentionality and in, in, in any space we can. So that was really our um, initial step of, of just identifying, like, what are we, what are we working in and how do we um, increase opportunity for BIPOC investors and co-producers? And and the the answer to that came came to be is simply as the invitation. It's like historically that invitation hasn't really been there. And you know, at, uh, I would say thinking about finances, um, you know, and investing, you don't really um, see yourself in in that role in a Broadway space sometimes as a BIPOC individual. So we were looking at the system and trying to identify how how do we um, lower that gate and and create an opportunity so now that we've really identified you know the structure of the fund um, we're looking to you know create membership opportunities and open the open the gates and bring in more people and you know I think it's it's that invitation that we're trying to set out and um, that's really the next phase of, of the fund is to to raise the money and and identify the projects that we want um, that we believe are mission aligned and that can um, be a portfolio that we're proud of of the work that we're um, amplifying and and you know giving artists and and new investors and new co-producers the opportunity to network and um you know some when we talk about membership um you know we hope that this is not just people that are you know theater adjacent or within the theater space we really want to expand beyond um beyond what you would think an investor on broadway would would look like or what their background would be um we're even interested in having you know 
sending the invite out to artists who maybe have never had a stake in the work that they've been a part of. Mm-hmm. If they're a stagehand or a company manager or, um, you know, an actor on the stage, it's like, for the most part, they there's real no financial stake that they have in the production other than their weekly paycheck. And and so this could be the opportunity to give them, give them that stake and give them the opportunity to participate in, in the, uh, you know, kind of financial ecosystem on Broadway in a greater way. Um, so right now it's it's really eye on the prize for launching membership. And, you know, that timing is continuously being pushed back just with the timing of when when we actually can participate in the in the uh, Broadway model again. So um, we're we're eyeing in the fall, but um, it's it's certainly been a journey to get there, but it's raised a lot of interesting questions on on what accountability means to be a producer. I'm wondering as you're going about doing this work, you know, obviously it's it's fitting in a larger landscape of you know other uh, institutions, other organizations, other people um, who are doing work and others who frankly aren't. So I'm wondering, you know, are have you encountered any um, sort of resistance? Uh, and and if so. What do you say to people who who might be questioning what you're doing or how you're going about doing it? Um, yeah, I think what's been really amazing in the last year, again, it's such a strange duality to have existed in sort of the trauma of 2020, and yet it also have these seeds planted that are hopefully generating um, a more equitable system, holistic system, not even just within theater. Um, So our sort of ethos has been to to utilize and activate our own networks within the industry to reach out and try to form partnerships and have real conversations uh, like, you know, with, you know, uh, producers such as yourselves as well to and find those and individuals and organizations that have a natural alignment and then start doing a deeper dive into that conversation, right? And so the the resistance that we've gotten in certain conversations, we chalk up to, we're going to still be here. We're still going to do this. We're not trying to be exclusive or exclusionary in terms of our participation in the industry. We don't want to replace anyone at these tables. We're trying to build bigger tables, basically, Mm -hmm. and have more people available to tell their narratives and to expand the resource of Broadway. Because the the narrow uh, view of who's been able to participate at this level has sort of built the very untenable structure, financial structure, um, as, you know, costs keep increasing. And, you know, so these questions have to sort of be interrogated kind of constantly. And we're so open to people that have been resistant to continue to come back as we're building this thing and building this model. We know that we are going to not necessarily get it quote unquote perfect or right. And that this is an evolution and a model that potentially other people can learn off of and then build their own systems too. And we're really functioning as a bridge to people that haven't had the invitation, but also the people within the industry. You know, we're currently reaching out to, through our own networks uh, as well, to establish producers to have buy-in into what we're doing as well, to say, this is the this is important work that we're trying to do. You know, do you support this work? And 
how can you support this work so that the entire ecosystem is more just and not just us trying to be an outlier um, for the industry. We're trying to participate with the industry while changing it from within as well. So there's gonna be resistance. There's a resistance to every movement, right? In terms of every kind of um, activism or social change, but that doesn't negate the effort to try to make that change happen. As we start to return to work, everybody starts to get busier with the, just the world returning. How do you continue to sustain what you're doing as everyone's getting pulled in a million different directions? Yes, I mean, we've even started to feel that as our, the cohort of eight that we have of the co-founding members right now, it's, you know, we we are grateful that we have this, you know, set weekly time to connect every week. It's actually every Wednesday. And it still remains my favorite meeting of the week. You know, we not only, you know, have a moment to just connect on on what we're all holding personally, because we all are balancing a lot of separate projects. But when we unite and we are able to, you know, really take in what we're uh, trying to accomplish here, it, it really does provide even more inspiration and fire under um, you know, our, our actions. And I think as, as Broadway is starting to reopen, it's starting to like, these conversations are starting to feel even more important and even more of, of like feeling that drive underneath us to make, make sure that we keep, um, keep, you know, trying to forge our way through, the very cloudy Broadway return that we're seeing happen, you know, it's, there's so much happening and, and it's going to continue to get busier and busier. So as long as we, you know, always go back to our mission, that's kind of a theme within our, our weekly meetings. It's, it's, is this mission aligned? Is this, um, are we operating from a place of, of wanting to fulfill this mission or are we operating a place from just wanting to get it done fast, which might be the bandaid, issue and we don't want to cover it with a band-aid we actually want to interrogate and figure out how do we make this sustainable you know the way that we dream about our members is you know not just um you know an opportunity to invest and participate as a co-producer on broadway like what we are hoping to provide our members is a network and uh, a new uh ecosystem that you know, if if two folks who decide to invest in in the industry standard group, but uh, they and they meet, they really align on on their producing aesthetics, and we hope that those two members would go off and start producing on their own. Like we we want to um, build build more um, producers through this through this fund. We want to give give the opportunity and and the access because you know, for myself and my journey as a producer you really don't really understand. And sometimes I still don't think I understand what a producer actually does because it's, it's just constantly changing from show to show as everyone on this call, you know, knows and understands. It's like, you don't really figure out how to do it until you're doing it. So we're hoping that, you know, through the membership that it gives, um, you know, aspiring producers and aspiring lead producers, the opportunity to see the nuts and bolts of a Broadway production from this space that is supported and um, truly, uh, truly like moving forward from uh, a mission uh, focus. Hmm. Well, Sammy, you've just um, mentioned something that I think is so important. And that is that I think a lot of people, um, you know, just your, even just your average theater goer has no idea 
what a producer does, let alone could even name a producer, you know? Um, and, and I love the fact that what you're focusing on with TISG is producers because, you know, I think all of us assembled here know, you know, precisely why that is so important. But I'm wondering if, just to drive the point home for our listeners, you know, if you could um, articulate, you know, exactly why you think it is that producers are such an important uh, target and such important players to focus on in terms of bringing systemic change. Thank you for that, Rob. I, th I think that um, I was listening to uh, your um, episode with Daryl Roth, mm. and you had a similar question about like what right. is a producer, and yeah. and and what something that she said really resonated with me. And I've always felt not only as a producer but as a um, as an artist as well um, that I facilitate other people's vision. Right, I'm a facilitator, and I've always felt comfortable in ensembles, comfortable in you know ideating and uh, sort of iterative work that like builds from sort of this collective. And that goes to what uh, Sammy was saying earlier about our group, right? And that there's a, the value number one of us as a collective, that it's not, there's eight of us that we can support each other. And we realize the value of that as a group and how we are able to sort of lean on each other and our each, uh, each other's experiences to build this thing. Um, and we want that reflected in the, in the organization at large. So, you know, even in our leadership roles, we're trying to build different models, model, different models of transparency, different models of uh, collective decision-making. And I've been drawn to producing because of these sort of um, uh, factors in how art, how I enjoy producing art, how I enjoyed making art before, realizing that as an artist, the relationship of those interests just directly related to the way I want to produce, right? That as a, when I was dancing, I wanted to learn the entire system. I wanted to learn sort of like the lighting technique and all of the, the, the music. And then when I was a puppeteer, I went and worked in a puppet studio because I wanted to know the systems of how puppets worked so I can speak to it more. And it's very similar with producing where you are the shepherd to a work, to a voice. And your job is to get it from point A to point B, or you know, C to tomb for the most part, right? And how to more, most responsibly do that and realizing that there is no one way to do it. And that the more you do it, the more tools you have because you've had more experiences and anecdotal you know, places to say, okay, this is how we did it last time, but that's not how that works for every single time because it's always different. So uh, I think we are all producers to some degree as, working artists a lot of people when they're first starting to think oh maybe i'll be a producer they're like i don't know how to do that you've already been doing it to an extent every performer really or artist is a small business owner that has to wear multiple different hats at any given time they're their own agent they're their own cheerleader they're their own technician they're all these things so you've already kind of already been doing it because the producer just wears all those hats and you know and is able to cultivate the different relationships and build a show um, uh, to its hopeful fruition and its success. So when people, and we want to operate as that conduit as well, educationally for people coming into this industry, particularly BIPOC people um, uh, that haven't had that invitation before to say, here's our experience as producers. You don't have 
you, there's no way you can recreate my trajectory, but use your experience and my experience to create another narrative, another form. Here's what the example has been in the past. Here's, you know, responsible financial modeling. Go <laughs> make, make more art. So, yeah. But I think this also goes to your earlier point about wanting to include more people who aren't typically thought of in the investor pool or the producer pool, like the artists, like the technicians that work on the show. I think this is all wrapped up in, in everything that you're doing, which is what I think is so interesting about it, that it is... Like the notion of having a complete team involved artistically, but also financially is, I think, something that's really exciting and, um, and not the way people think about how to, how to make art, right? Because it is also a fine line of you have to make the art, but then there's the commercial side of it, right? And there's a financial element to it. But if you can blend those things a little bit better, Think of all the great things you can create. Exactly. To to me, it's this question. It's a constant, uh, almost like a battle between like arts and commerce. And it's like, <laughs> and and how how do we constantly like navigate that? You know, ongoing like Joan Crawford like <laughs> type of feud that we're like talking about. You know, it's. But I think that so much of of what we're trying to question it's it's truly coming up with questions we've uh, through the industry standard group we're coming up with this idea of like thresholds of responsibility and how we operate within our threshold responsibility is is um you know leading from the mission but also asking ourselves questions about like why why does this story need to be told um who are the players making this story come to life um who are the places that we can make space on this team to make sure that it's a more equitable or diverse team, um, you know, and, and how are we operating within the systems financially and, and where are we getting our uh, financial resources? It's, it's thinking of every um, part of the decision-making process as a producer um, thinking of those, but, but holding ourselves accountable to, to really question and be like, is this, is this, um, decision being made because it's the, I, I, I have five people that I work with on every show, or is this a space where I can bring in someone new? And even though I, it might be uncomfortable for myself to, to branch out into, a, you know, offering this to a, a person that I don't typically work with, like that relationship might ultimately become, you know, a new fruitful, even better relationship than you had previously on other projects. So I think, um, so much of this is the balance of like, you know, how how do we um, stretch ourselves and and make make that uncomfortable feeling of, of change um, a good feeling? Mm. And you've just said something that I think is so key, and that is accountability, right? And and how we're we're all calling upon ourselves to be accountable and each other to be accountable because you know it, it seems to me like. With the example you've just given, you know, th these are the five people I always work with and we have great collaborations and we create great art. So we just keep doing it. Right. Um, but that complacency itself, you know, is part of the problem and <laughs> feeds systemic, you know, barriers. Um, but also, you know, it's also keeping artists from creating, you know, 
great art, right? And growing. And and I think that's a human thing. I don't think that's a theater thing. I think that's that's just life, right? People people fear change um, in any context. Yeah. Uh, what's the joke? The only thing that likes to change is a baby's diaper. You know, like yeah. uh, that's true. You know, yeah. um, to some degree. That, that classic joke. My grandma always said that. Right to put it graphically, um, <laughs> but you know, uh, so. I think the way you combat that is by introducing that notion of accountability, right? Of of reminding us all to constantly be vigilant about the decisions we're making, the actions actions we're making, the people we're bringing together, because it is it is you know easy to use that word to to not do something, right? I mean, the, the, the easiest thing is to do nothing, um, but mm-hmm. doing nothing is is exactly you know get, gets you right back where you were. So I'm wondering, you know, in in movement politics, there are you know there, there are different theories of of how you make change, right? And it's very clear from this conversation, you know, that TISG has a very specific uh, ethos or philosophy about how you're going about your work, informing not just the changes that you want to make, but how you want to do it. And and the how is so important. So I'm wondering, you know, if you could just shed a little bit more light upon, you know, specifically you know, what, what that guiding philosophy is for how we're going to change this, knowing what we know about, you know, certain behavioral uh, instincts and uh, complacencies that do exist. Absolutely. I think that, you know, to speak to accountability um, and the the macro of what we're talking about, um, how we are looking at organizations to be held accountable, but also what I found interesting in this moment is that it's been um, inverted to some degree, and in, in I, and as a personal, in a personal way, in my own personal practice, there is this constant now question interrogation of accountability that each individual has to make to check their own privilege, to check their own background, to check how they've gotten into the space they've gotten into, and why, and why other people haven't been allowed in that space. And so it's kind of this feedback loop where, you know, or strange loop. <laughs> um, wink. Um, where you're just kind of this that that check and balance within yourself then leads to like your practice and how you um, uh, engage in other partnerships and relationships. Mm-hmm. But to speak specifically to TISG, you know, we're looking at a sort of a three pronged um, way that we're engaging our mission. Right, we're looking at increasing access. Um, um, supporting uh, BIPOC voices, individuals, organizations, and then through that, these partnerships and engaging um, through our innovative modeling, um, a sort of disruption of the status quo of how things have been. And the thing that we're hyper aware of is that it's easy to, when you have the resource behind you, to kind of say, you know what, just dream your dreams and be, don't be afraid to fail and that kind of stuff where you're like, oh, well, <laughs> you, you have like a million dollars in the bank. You're like, well, okay, I just try another one. So we're trying to really responsibly build a system where serving the communities that we're trying to uplift, that we're trying to financially be responsible to them, we're trying to emotionally be responsible to them, because we realize that there is an innate risk for people that haven't been invited to these spaces to then say, participate in this space. Because there's a fear. There's a fear of like, well, if we're the first into the space, how are we going to be received, treated, supported, uplifted. And the one of the reasons why 
we our timeline has been flux is because our group is hyper aware as BIPOC individuals that have existed in this space for you know their entire careers for the most part of how that looks when there, there isn't support when there you know aren't people that are saying here's how this could potentially go and here's you know um, uh, protection of your investment not only financially but also emotionally and artistically so we're we're very aware in our group of building out our model and our function responsibly and intentionally yeah and something that's so special about um the group and and how we hope the group uh to eventually grow is is this idea of you know when we go back to the question of like what is a producer and you know they are essentially like the nucleus of the project and they they operate in a very singular lane. Like we're all our own little startup companies. And it's really easy to like stay in your lane and be so focused on your singular project and kind of lose sight of the macro goal of of what it is to be a theater maker. And so, you know, with with TISG, it's it's that network that is is hopefully going to be the heart, the heartbeat of the organization. It's like, um, you know, no longer are we producing in our little silo bubbles. Like we, we should be sharing resources. We should be sharing, you know, contract questions of, of why, why is this contract historically been negotiated in this way? Why can't we think about it from another perspective? Or, um, you know, why is this certain agent or manager keeping the gate up so high that, you know, we can't even break through to come to an agreement when ultimately we're all just artists and we all just want to work together and create something that ultimately will have an emotional impact on a large mass of people. So it's like, why <laughs> wouldn't we want to come to an agreement? So it's really questioning those little, those little um, intricacies of, of what it means to, to produce and put on a show. So um, I think that coalition and, and partnership is, is probably the, the biggest uh, key to making this group successful. Well, when you're in the middle of trying to make uh, big systemic change, um, <laughs> it, it can be hard to sort of step outside of it, right? So I'm, I'm wondering, um, you know, how do you measure progress from your vantage point as, you know, founding members of this organization? The traction that we've gotten thus far, the fact that this group was able to formalize and form in the way it did feels organic. There, I'm not going to say easy, but it has felt like this road has opened up and that it's been cleared for us to some degree because of the way that we're going about it. And we know that there are challenges and that we're going to encounter a certain amount of friction in, in, in moving forward. But I think I've noted, and it's hard to note growth when you're in it, right? Just in right, general period. Right. I think what's been amazing is that we've had this team and seen sort of like the change reflected in each other and in the model as well and how and the partnerships we brought on has really just stoked our fire to make this happen more and more and more. Having the opportunity to speak to other lead producers on Broadway who have produced mega hit musicals and being able to get on an intimate Zoom with them and just share about the the progress of what we're doing to me that that is a huge step of you know just just introducing the group and our goals I think ultimately will affect the 
overall ethos of of what it means to be a commercial producer and and thinking differently about your investor and co-producer pool. Imagine if you can that we're doing uh, a reunion episode of this conversation in five years. What would you hope to report back on what has changed? Do you know that is the best question, and uh, it's it's a little overwhelming because you know I can I can get emotional just thinking of of I just hope that there are productions on Broadway where you go to those weekly marketing meetings and look around the table and feel like it's the art that you set out to do when when we decided to to make theater. It's it's mm. bringing people together, bringing cultures together and really seeing that reflected in the decision-making rooms and um and also in the audiences that are in the seats. It's you know, I in 10 years I would love to be able to see a Broadway where the show that's the story that's that's being played on the stage is reflective throughout the entire space and and how that how that you know, manifests. I, I don't know yet, but I just, um, I really am hopeful and, and I dream of that day. From a specifically, you know, industry standard group perspective as well, like we, we've talked about this in meetings where to go to like an opening night or go to like an industry standard group night at a show that the group has invested in or co-produced and sort of see everyone in that room and be like, this is the thing that we helped build. And and potentially, like Sammy had mentioned earlier, like, or if there's people with that, our group was the gateway to then take on another fund, take on another co-producer role, take on another lead producing role. That's also something that I would be absolutely, you know, that, like the musical working, like you're pointing to that thing, like, you see mm-hmm. that building? I did that. Um, I just, I just put a, pulled a working reference, y'all. So we, we love a working reference. <laughs> That's the first for this podcast, and I'm here for it. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's because the, you know, that's Turkle. I think that's the, just the name that I, I remember. But yeah, to be able to to have a, a say in in the change and to know that you were part of that at some level, right? Mm. I think the other thing about our group, which is so fascinating, especially with being involved in the arts industry, is that we're not it doesn't feel as if we're ego driven. Like we've always in all these initiatives, like whoever's furthest along, let's do that thing. In this instance, one of the reasons why we built this out was that there was no one addressing representation and diversity in uh, commercial theater producing. So we were furthest along and we are furthest along currently that we know of in, in this particular uh, part of the industry. So the, I, and I love that even in any kind of narrative building or any kind of room where the people there are there to serve the work. We're facilitating the vision of the artist or of the voice or of the narrative. And that's sort of what our group is doing as well. That it's not about us as individuals being like, this isn't like Rob Lakeys, the industry standard group. You know, even when we named the group, each word is has weight. You know, we're mm-hmm. the industry standard group. Right. And we took time to sort of say what that meant. Um, and it, it, the pride that you feel when you build something, you know, I, as someone that probably is not going to have children, like, <laughs> like mm. this is our baby, right? Every show, every production is like the producer's baby. And this yeah. baby is like, has even more like longevity to it that, that even. 10, 15, 20 years down the line can potentially have real impact 
and there's a weight to that. There was a meeting where I think collectively we realized we were like, this isn't just like a, oh, we'll build this fun and then like we'll all peace out and buy. We're like, <laughs> oh, this is like a long-term thing, y'all. This is potentially something that we're gonna be attached to for you know potentially the, a, a chunk of our career. And we're proud to do that. And we want mm -hmm. to bring other people aboard on board that are also in that same vein. Well, Rob Russo and I cannot wait to see this baby grow up. Yes. Um, and yes. and do and do great things. This has been so fantastic to have you both. Um I think it's just it's incredible what you're doing and I think it's so important and I think the way you're going about everything is just so thoughtful and um and and that I think is key. Yes, thank you. And thank you for making the space to let us just share about the Industry Standard Group. You know, we'll keep you updated along the way. See that building? I'm on the staff. I work as a guard. I clean the floors and I clean them good. People don't know my job is hard. See that building? Five days a week, I work at a desk. I do the books. I handle the mail. Jamie here. That's our show. Thanks for listening. If you haven't yet, check out our friends over at Social Goods, an online store that offers a curated slate of statement-making merchandise that gives back to nonprofits tackling some of today's most pressing issues. We love their goods, and we love doing good. And the best part is listeners of the Fabulous Invalid can go to social-goods.com and use the code FAP15 at checkout and receive 15% off your first purchase. That's Social Goods, where every transaction comes with real action. The Fabulous Invalid is a production of O&M Etc. and The Fabulous Invalid LLC and a proud member of the Broadway Podcast Network. Our theme music is by Lucky Chops. Today's episode was edited and engineered by Aaron Kaufman. You can find us online at thefabulousinvalid.com and on social media at Fabulous Invalid and on iTunes, Spotify, and wherever you find your podcast. And don't forget, check out our archive of episodes and be sure to tune in next time. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the RISE Theater Directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E dot -E 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 org because only together we rise.